Well, if everyone is here, we can sort of get started. Um, this is Dr. David Otis. And um, tell us some about yourself. What do you practice, Dr. Otis? Well, I'm currently practicing in uh, Collegedale, Tennessee. Oh, Collegedale, about, Tennessee. About a mile and a half from the campus at, at Southern Adventist University. Wonderful, wonderful. And um, where did you go to school? I went to Loma Linda University, graduated okay. in 1985. And then moved straight to Collegedale? A lot took you on a pathway. No, we, we were in Pennsylvania for 20 years after graduation from, from dental school. And uh, f uh, five years ago, I had a dentist from Tennessee, Dr. Sines Sr., if any of you know him, made a phone call to me and invited me to come take over his Collegedale practice. And, uh, even though it was about half the size of what I had in Pennsylvania, the, the Lord was so clear that we knew we had to move, that the Lord is really blessed. And uh, we really never missed a beat in our, in our practice from uh, Pennsylvania to Tennessee. Wonderful. Yeah. And you have a, a, a child who's going to southern? Going to, going to the south from the north, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. The Lord is blessed and uh, gone very well. But don't you have a son and daughter going to Southern University? Oh, I have. Uh, yeah, I was going to talk about that a little bit. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll just share that with us later on. Okay. <laughs> so the floor, is, the floor is yours. Okay. Well, I'd like to uh, welcome each one here. How many? How many dentists or dental students are in the? Okay. How many, how many uh, are dental students? Okay, so <laughs> awesome. So the rest of dentists then, I guess. What, what grade, what uh, levels are we? We're first. Freshmen. First freshmen, all right. Well, that's great. I think it's a, an awesome thing for uh, the students to be here. I wish they would have had this kind of thing when I was at Loma Linda. What year did... We didn't have it then. No, we didn't have it then. But... Uh, Anyway, before we be, would be, uh, begin, I'd like to bow our heads and, and ask the Lord to uh, guide us today. Father in heaven, we come before you today, and it's, it's a beautiful day. And Father, our prayer today is that we might catch your vision for us as your uh, people and as health providers in the neighborhoods that, that we work or will work. Father, we don't want to know uh, what our will is, but your will for our lives. And, and I just pray that this time spent together might bring us uh, closer to your vision, uh, open our hearts and minds that we might be in tune to that plan. And thank you for your presence and your promise to never leave us or forsake us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to share a, a little bit about who I am. Uh, so I'll give you a little bit of background. My, I've been a dentist now for 25 and a half years, I guess. I graduated from Loma Linda. And let me tell you guys, it goes fast. I feel like I was just in dental school. And we, and we're, and we continue to be students. There's so much to learn. Uh, just a quick picture of my office in Collegedale. I, like I said, I've been here the last five years. Previous to that, 20 years in Pennsylvania. Uh, my... Uh, picture of my lovely wife who's back here. She's came to support me today. And, and our four children, I have three kids in college and one who's a senior in academy ne next year at college. This is our Destin, we were in Destin, Florida a week ago and uh, enjoyed our time there very much. But the Lord's been good to me. Um, you know, when I was a very young person, um, I became impressed with the value that a, and contribution that a gospel worker and a medical evangelist, that combination, what they could be to the Lord's work. Um, I actually had the privilege of being raised in a publishing ministries family. Uh, my father worked in the Adventist Book Center. At the time it was called the Book and Bible House. Uh, but you know, as, as a little kid, uh, I just would sit at my dad's feet and just listen to him and, and converse with him. And he just had the vision of our pioneers. Um, 
my my uncles and my grandfather were all involved with uh, the publishing work, so it's 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 ingrained in me. And now here I am, a, a dentist. Um, what 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 car do you think this is? Anybody recognize it? That's a Rambler. You got it. Well, some of my earliest memories uh, are were of my dad. There was five kids in my family. I'm the middle of five. And my dad, this is in uh, West Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh. My dad was the Book and Bible House manager. And every, almost every weekend, especially during the fall and winter, we would, my dad would pack the back of that Rambler station wagon with a load of books. We would travel up the hilly, all the hills of, they didn't have the interstates back then in Pennsylvania. Uh, but we would travel those back roads and, and uh, five kids in there with my mom and dad. And my dad would go preach in three, three churches. And that Saturday night, my dad would set up a book sale. And uh, that would go late into the evening on Saturday night. And in, in the winter months in, in, around Pittsburgh, it got pretty cold. But my dad, after the book sale, we'd pack those books back up. We'd, uh, my dad had a bear rug. We, our, us kids called it the bear rug. And we would snuggle up on that bear rug in the back of those books, in the back of that Rambler station wagon. And, and so this is, this is where I come from, okay? Um, but what I remember the most about my, my dad was his devotion uh, that he had to see our gospel literature light the world. Um, in fact, I mean, he very much knew and understood the commission that the Lord had given us th through Mrs. White uh, about our literature being spread around the world. Um, in fact, um, when I was, a, when I was a, just a teenager, I worked in the shipping room of, of the ABC. And one, one of my jobs was to put all the mass mailing of letters that would go out, I would put them through the postage meter and every letter that went through there, there was in, stamped on it, it said, light the world with literature. And so, I mean, this was very much ingrained in me, was about our literature being spread like the leaves of autumn. Um, but I also have to tell you that combined with my dad's passion for, for our literature work, uh, I, I was privileged to, uh, to move to Reading, Pennsylvania, the other side of the state, and uh, I think it was 1962 when they combined the two conferences and my dad became the manager of the whole state of, for Pennsylvania. But in, in Reading, I came across uh, two very humble, godly Adventist physicians that had a, made, played a very major role in my life. Uh, combined with my rich background of, of the publishing work, now I had the introduction of what it was to be a true, godly, uh, humble Adventist physician. And I just, I have the privilege and honor today to have Dr. Russell Youngberg, who was one of these physicians that when I was just a young person, I would sit, uh, I, would, I would listen to Dr. Youngberg and, uh, and my dad sit around and talk about the vision. At the time, they were trying to create what's called the Better Living Center in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a very large city and very much, uh, it was very much unreached at the time and, and really probably still is, but there's a lot of work to do there. But I can remember Dr. Youngberg and, and my dad seeking ways and, and throwing about ideas about how the, the combination of the literature work and the gospel uh, medical work could be, could be used to reach Philadelphia. Uh, and I have to tell you, later on when I was working in the shipping room, I would fill the orders and I'd ship them out. And I, I, would get, I would get this thick order from Dr. Youngberg. He doesn't know this. I'm, this he's right here, by the way. And you're going to meet him in a little bit. Uh, but th thick orders from Dr. Youngberg and just handwritten all the names of these patients specifying specific books to be shipped out uh, on a certain topic for a certain patient, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a young kid doing this, and I'm, I'm so impressed that here we would have an Adventist physician that would actually take the time to be that concerned about uh, each and every patient, 
know what their need is, spend his own money to pay for that book to be ship, shipped out. That just was, had such a deep impression upon my life. And, uh, and so, well, when I was 19 years old, my father died. He was the young age of 44. And, I was, and, and at the time, he was the manager of, of the Adventist Book Center in Southern California, in, in Glendale, California. Um, and I can remember HMS Richards used to come into the, the ABC there, and he'd sit and talk to my dad for hours about developing Pastor's Book Club. Uh, but my dad was also one of the originators, I believe, of the literature rack for doctor's offices. When the Vietnamese, uh, when Vietnam fell, my dad actually hired the president of the Vietnam, Vietnam mission to go around to all the doctor's offices in, in Southern California and stock their literature rack with, with our godly literature. He did? That's awesome. Uh, Lei Kong Yao, great man, and I think he's still alive today. Uh, but at 19, my dad died, and I'm trying to decide, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I had a rich heritage in publishing ministry. People like Dr. Youngberg impressed me. And, and you know, there used to be a book published by the Southern Publishing Association called Careers in Whatever. And there was a career in dentistry book. And I picked that book up and I thought, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, we could marry the publishing work with our gospel, uh, gospel medical work as well. Uh, so off I went after spending a few years at La Sierra and one year at PUC. I went to Loma Linda, graduated in 1985 from the School of Dentistry. Uh, I went into practice for five years in Reading, Pennsylvania, back home. And uh, I was in practice with two non-Christian dentists or non-Adventist dentists. And uh, things were going very well. They really liked me. They wanted me to buy into the practice. But you know, in the back of my mind, I hadn't fully met the vision that I felt like the Lord had called me into, into being a dental medical evangelist. And so, um, I was praying about it. My wife can testify. But we, across town from where I was practicing, oh, in this, in this practice, the music, we played the local radio station, Y102, over the intercom, and, and uh, you know, I, I just, I didn't feel, I wanted to pray with my patients. I wanted to share literature with them, and it just wasn't in the right at atmosphere. So the Lord led me to this, across, in fact, I was in Wyomissing, which is kind of the Beverly Hills of Reading, a nice place to have a practice. Well, this practice, the Lord led me to this practice on the other side of the railroad tracks, on the other side of town, which was not the elite side of town. But I thought, this practice came up for sale, and we prayed about it. We, we, my wife and I, we went and purchased this practice, and this was going to be my missionary practice for one and a half days a week. Well, after, I just have to tell you, after one year of practicing in my missionary practice, my missionary practice grew so large that I had to make a decision. I was gonna, had to go to one office or the, uh, or the other. Uh, and I guess, guess where I went? Missionary, Missionary office. <laughs> but I have to go back in time. The day of settlement on our new practice, uh, my wife and I, the first thing we did was we went into that waiting room in that office and we knelt down in the middle of that waiting room and we prayed and we said, Lord, this is your office. And uh, our first order of business, guess what it was? To set up a literature rack in that office. Um, also to play nice inspirational music. If you don't happen to practice in that environment, whatever practice, if you're a physician or dentist, uh, I just I can tell you your com your your patients will love it and they will comment on it all the time. But the first order of business was to set up a literature rack filled with our our truth-filled literature. But I have to tell you, oh, and the Lord blessed immensely. Like I told you, after a year, I had to go to this office full time. 
But another huge impact on my life, and I just have to testify, that, is that I actually read some of those books that I used to lay on top of in the back of that Rambler station wagon. Uh, and I read, I read statements from Mrs. White that a gospel medical missionary could reach people that a, a minister in the pulpit never could. A, med a medical evangelist could reach people that a minister in the pulpit never could. And I began to think about that. And I just have to tell you that this opened up a whole new vision now of that patient sitting in my dental chair. Because you know why? If the minister can't reach him, but I might be the only contact for Christ that that patient might ever, ever meet. Um, and so, having that thought in mind, I thought about Jesus sitting next to the wheat field with his disciples. Remember that story in the Bible? I think it occurs in three of the four Gospels. But uh, Jesus is sitting with his disciples in front of this wheat field, and he asks them a question. He says, what do you see? And he said, do you see the wheat that is still four months away from the harvest? Or do you see wheat that is already ripe for the harvest? What, what, do you, what did Jesus see? You think he saw ripe wheat already? My question today is, what do we see in our patients? When that patient is sitting in our dental chair, do we see wheat that is still unripe or wheat that might be ripe? I think the, uh, one of the things that we do is we make assumptions about our patients, about people. We think that people that come to our offices, they're probably not going to be interested in anything that has to do with religion. We think that they might be turned off by it. We think that they're not ready to hear. Um, well, I think maybe they are ready. The problem is we may not be ready. Um, all right. As a dentist, we are trained to technical perfection. And I can remember as a freshman in dental school working on my little or wax up. What was that class called? Tooth, tooth form morphology. <coughs> well, when I first think about it, when you were first waxing that tooth, uh, you didn't see everything in that tooth that you, after, after taking it back to those instructors time after time, and the instructor began to talk to you about line angles and bevels and cusps and fosses and all of those things, Finally, you begin to see something in that tooth that you never saw before. Um, but as dentists, we are trained to technical perfection. Uh, you know, anybody that's not a dentist in this room, what do you see? Okay, now, everybody that has anything to do with uh, dentistry, we see lots of stuff in this picture. We see all the line angles, the cusps, the fosses, the centric occlusion, the sun centric relation, uh, pits, grooves, fissures, canine guidance. Uh, okay. <laughs> we see all of these things. Well, a casual observer doesn't pick up all of those things. The point of this is, you know, in this age of cosmetic dentistry, and all of you that are still in dental school will find out about this, years ago, the practicing dentist could put in any black silver filling in the mouth and the patients didn't, they didn't care. Well, we live in a different age. In this age of, of uh, cosmetic dentistry, guess what? There's a lot of pressures and demands on a practicing dentist to, to provide uh, quality dentistry like, like never before. The problem and the danger of that is that our, our vision becomes so narrow and confined to what we're looking at here that sometimes we miss that ripe harvest that might be in our dental chair. Uh, so what can we do about this? Uh, those of you that might have had the privilege of hearing Louis Torres in the past, I kind of got this from him. 
But you know, Christ spent much of his time, and you find this in the book Desire of Ages, Christ spent much of his time doing what? Mrs. White says, studying the faces of people. So when that dental patient, or, or maybe not dental, but medical patient sitting in your chair or your room, uh, now we see them in a different light. As, as Christ studied the faces of people, he watched for the movement of the Holy Spirit upon that person's life. And as soon as he saw the movement of the Holy Spirit upon that person's life, is then he had the permission to enter into that life. Christ couldn't enter into any life that, that he didn't have permission to enter into. We as professionals, we have to watch for the movement of the Holy Spirit. People are giving off signals all the time. Are we watching for those, those signals? And when we see those signals, the question is, what are we going to do about it? We have two choices. And let me tell you, every day, people are in your, in your office that are giving off signals. And we have two options. What are we, we, can, we can either enter into that opportunity, or we can say, no, you know what? I'm running behind schedule. I'm busy. The patient doesn't care. Let me go on. And we walk away from that opportunity. Um, that's the point of this presentation today, uh, entitled Maximizing the Silent Messengers in Your Office. And I think utilizing the silent messengers is a very effective means of, of entering into that very opportunity that the patient might be expressing. Um, now you might be wondering, just what are these silent messengers? Well, pay attention to this following statement by, by Mrs. White. Publications must be multiplied and scattered like the leaves of autumn. These silent messengers are enlightening and molding the minds of thousands in every country and in every clime. Why are they silent? Well, maybe you might be busy in your practice that day or you might be not perceiving that that patient has a need. Well, if you have a literature rack in your office, guess who's doing the work? The silent messengers are working, even if we're not. Um, so, as a provider, we have the privilege and the opportunity to make making these timely, truth-filled silent messengers available to our patients. Uh, but what about, think about it, why is that patient in your office? They're there because they have maybe a little confidence in you to maybe treat them, right? So that confidence that they have placed in you as their provider, and you as their provider has something like this in their, their waiting room, what's going to happen? Their confidence in you is going to add merit to the truth that's contained in these silent messengers, right? It will. And let me tell you, if you don't have a literature rack in your office yet, and I pray that this presentation might inspire that, uh, the first day you set it up in your office, yes, your patients will be blessed, but guess who's going to be scouring that literature rack first? Your staff. Your staff, they are going to pick up almost every one of these. And believe me, your staff has, has concerns in their life too. And believe me, they are going to be blessed. So, uh, it's, it's just awesome. Notice this other uh, statement. Uh, Let the publications containing Bible truths be scattered like the leaves of autumn. Now here's the purpose of the scattering. The, the next line, lift him up the Savior of souls. Lift him up higher and still higher. See, this is the purpose of the scattering of the leaves. It's not to lift us up, okay? Uh, Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, okay? Uh, when was Christ lifted up? On the cross. On the cross. 
So it's the blood of Jesus that is the, the drawing power, is it not? It's not us. It's the cross, the blood of Jesus. Is your, I'd like to ask, I mean, I ask this question t- to myself all the time, and I hope you will meet the same challenge. But is your office dipped, dipped in the blood of Jesus? If your office is dipped in the blood of Jesus, guess what's going to happen? Christ is going to be the drawing power. We merely have the privilege of being his servants throughout the day as he works. Okay. So the goal of any Christian physician or dentist is to be hidden so that Christ can be seen. Um, and a lot of us, we might be fearful of making this bold of a statement. We, might, we think we might lose some patience, perhaps. Well, anybody that's been involved with being a Christian physician, medical evangelist, will, will know that it will do just the opposite. Your practice will multiply. Okay? Because guess who's doing the multiplying? The Lord's going to multiply your efforts. The Lord grows the practice. Um, I, asked you, I asked you earlier, we talk about what, what the physician, what do they see in their patients? Well, we could ask the, the converse, uh, the opposite question. What do our patients see in the provider? Um, what do our patients see in us when they come through the front door? What do they taste and see? Remember the Lord said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, what do they see and taste or feel when they enter our front door? You know, practice management uh, people, all the gurus in practice management will come and uh, tell you that if you, uh, what you should do is, is go through the patient experience in your office. You actually walk through the front door, you sit down in the waiting room, and you just look around. You see what the patient sees. And then you go into the operatory or into the consultation room, and, and you look. What is your patient looking at? And then you go to the checkout, and you check out. And you go through that, and you'll, uh, you'll get an idea of how the patient views you. Okay, now the question I asked, what do they see? I would like to ask another question, what should they see? What should the patient see? You know, I I was thinking about Christ on the Sermon of the Mount uh, when he was going through the Beatitudes. He talked about what the the ideal Christian or believer should look like. And he he described it this way. He said, we should be like a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. It'd be kind of hard to hide this city. I don't know where that is, but it'd be kind of hard to hide that city, wouldn't it? That's how the believer is. That's how our Christian office should be, right? You know, in the, same, in the next verse to being a city on the hill, if we do not choose to be a city on the hill, guess what we're going to be? There's only one other alternative. You know what, remember what it says? Have you ever tasted unsalty salt? What, what's the closest thing to unsalty salt that I, you can think of? Sand. That's all I can think of. We were, we, my wife and I actually went up to La Jolla yesterday. We had some free time. And I actually put some salt in my mouth. And it didn't taste, I mean, it has no taste. It's unflavorful. What flavor do our patients get when they come into our office? We're either going to be a city that can't be hidden, or we're going to be unflavored salt. Um, Well, our purpose today is to uh, maximize God's appointed silent messengers, um, which is our Christian literature, in our office, so that we can bring some flavor back into our office. Uh, does it work? I could tell you a bunch of stories, but I'm reserving that for some friends of mine to continue to share some stories. But yes, it does work. Uh, 
Now, these, uh, the literature that we put in our offices, um, you know, uh, from issues ranging from family matters uh, to health concerns to very biblical, uh, biblical discussions uh, fills my literature rack. You know, we know that every patient that comes through our front door has a specific need um, and concern. And we have that privilege of, of making this literature available in our, in our waiting rooms. Uh, and, and combined with the confidence that they've already placed in you, this literature is going gonna, gonna to transform. All right. And I can just tell you from a personal testimony that my most ex satisfying days of being a dentist are those days when I've had a spiritual experience with a patient. Uh, you know, I love doing quality dentistry. And, and in fact, I don't know how you can be a, a good Christian dentist and not have quality dentistry. They contradict one another. Uh, so our, our dentistry must be on the cutting edge. We must be, we must be up there. Uh, because what does it do? What does our work do? It testifies to all the other silent messengers in our office, doesn't it? Um, and I love being that quality dentist, but it, 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 it pales in comparison to actually reaching somebody that day in my office with, with a spiritual uh, idea. Um, you know, I don't, I don't fully know the effect of the literature that's in my office and all the patients that have been affected by it. And quite frankly, I don't know that I'm supposed to know all that. You know, the Lord is the one that needs to be glorified here. Um, I just, I just thank, I'm thankful that I serve a God who can do all things in spite of me. Because let me tell you, I have a lot of issues in my life that aren't, aren't where they need to be yet. And I just want the Lord to, uh, to continue to work. But through our, our, our literature, uh, in our offices, and, and, and just are making ourselves available to the Lord. Uh, I don't have the ability, but it, all the Lord needs is my availability, right? Um, you know, on, when I drive to my office in the morning, oftentimes I'll use that as a time in prayer. And I'll say, Lord, bring somebody into my life today, into my office that needs to know you and see you. How many times do you think the Lord has ever failed to answer that prayer? He has never failed to an answer that prayer. There is always, why? Because now I have a new vision. I'm looking for the work of the Holy Spirit in those people. And guess what? People are giving off signals. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. Um, so my prayer is, and for myself, you know, you know, Lord, use my office today for your glory. And uh, I have just the awesome privilege today to have Dr. Youngberg and his granddaughter, Elise, uh, come and share a little bit about, uh, I mean, Dr. Youngberg played such an important role in my life. And I have the privilege of knowing Elise uh, from Southern, and she's now in California. Uh, but she's going to share with us a little bit more about the literature work that her and her grandfather have done. Oh, I'm sorry. Good afternoon. Thanks. I'll just hold this. Well, I have the privilege of... Uh, not only being Dr. Youngberg's granddaughter, but being a patient of Dr. Otis while I was in nursing school at Southern. And I can just testify to the, uh, the, the loving Christian atmosphere of his office. I remember I would go in there, um, you know, how school is, you're stressed out and busy and sleep deprived. And once you get in a waiting room, there's nothing else to do. You just have to wait, and sometimes that's a good thing. And so I remember seeing the Nathan Green painting on the wall and, and hearing the, the Christian music and seeing all the literature, and it's just like, wow, God cares about me. He even cares about my teeth. And um, I just remember that was always 
just you feel encouraged just just being there and um, so it makes a difference for sure well I'm just going to tell a little story about my grandpa who Dr. Otis mentioned um, Dr. Russell Youngberg and how he used literature in a big way in his practice um, he graduated from Loma Linda and then he started the Reading Re Rehabilitation Hospital in Reading, Pennsylvania. So this is a picture of him from back in the day. Um, partway through his practice, he was reading this book called The History of the Unitas Fratrum, um, also known as the Moravian Church. And you see it says there, um, the followers of John Huss, and um, if you read in the great controversy about this great revival um, that was happening during the Reformation in the area of um, Western and Central Europe that's pointing to where Moravia and Bohemia were. Well, so my grandpa's reading this book about this um, powerful revival that's happening. People are getting the Bible in, in their own language and, and starting to hear the word of God after years and years of, of not being able to. So of course, um, the devil was trying to fight back what was happening, and, and this is what my grandpa was reading. There was a monk by the name of Anton Kanayish, a bohemian monk, and he didn't like what was happening, so he wanted to destroy all these new Christian books. And so he made it his goal to de destroy all this literature. So he would go into villages and burn books, destroy them, and steal them from the Christians. And I don't know how he kept track of it, but at the end of his life, he, he bragged that he had destroyed over 60,000 books. Sad story. So Grandpa's reading this, and he didn't want the story to end there. And so he prayed that God would help him to undo what this man had done by passing out at least 60,000 books in his life. And then he got to work. And he's going to tell you a few stories more specifically. But he started um, through the years distributing books here and there a little bit at a time. Um, and I just think that the way he did it was so creative. He would um, sometimes write a prescription for a book at the ABC and then give it to his patient and send them to the ABC. And then they had it worked out to where they could get it filled and then bill it to Dr. Youngberg. Or um, like Dr. Otis was sharing, he would send care packages to his patient's homes before the days of HIPAA. Um, and so he just started every day, every week, getting a couple books here and a couple books there and just trying to reach his patients. Well, uh, we'll fast forward 40 plus years, I'm not sure, a lot, a lot years later. And um, this is about two years ago, I was in nursing school at Southern. And my mom called me and she said, did you know that Grandpa's trying to pass out 60,000 books and he never even told us? And uh, so I was just shocked, and she told me the story, and I, just, I thought that was awesome. So I called him up, and I, I wanted to hear, hear the story from myself. Because I always knew that he liked giving out books, but I had no idea that there was this big goal. So he said, yeah, I've tried, but I don't think I'm going to be able to finish. I don't live near an ABC anymore, and all this. And I said, Grandpa, well, how many do you have left? Well about 5,000. So he'd already passed out 55,000 and I said, Grandpa, don't worry, we're gonna finish. You just, you need a little help from the younger generation. And um, so it was a tremendous privilege to just be a tiny, tiny part of the story in getting the last 5,000 books out. And um, this is, we, we passed out um, 20 boxes of 100, so 2,000 of them at um, my grandpa's home church in Jackson, Tennessee, and we encouraged the members to be part of the project. So they started taking them to their friends and, and their businesses, and then we also um, passed out a lot in the College Yale area, and my friends from Southern started helping, and it started multiplying. Um, this past summer, we shared the story at the Kentucky-Tennessee camp meeting, and uh, to the youth, and there were two people there, one of them a pastor, um, who made a commitment to that they wanted to pass out 60,000 books each. 
So you see the, the ripple effect. And so it was a joy uh, just about a month and a half ago. Um, and I'm working as a Bible worker at the Fallbrook Church, which is about an hour north of here. And my grandpa gave the rest of the books as a gift to the Fallbrook Church. And then we let those members take them out. So they've been passing them out to all their friends. So we, my grandpa just finished his project. And um, he's going to, oh, I just think this is a beautiful story of um, a way that someone did what Ellen White said to do to, or more importantly, what God said to do to scatter our literature like the leaves of autumn. So he's going to come and just share a couple little stories of um, people that were impacted during this project. literature evangelist visited a Norwegian immigrant farmer's home in Nebraska and uh, the wife said to the husband watch out this isn't Lutheran and you better stay away from it <laughs> but he did buy the book uh, they were the Norwegian signs of the times actually and the wife and all five children joined the church. He didn't, but he paid tithe, and he would come to church when his sons might be home preaching. But four of the family went as missionaries uh, to different places, and the other was the only white man on the campus of uh, Oakwood College. He was the business manager there, and he worked with our administrative end of our hospitals. My start in the literature work was 70 years ago. I was a 14-year-old call porter starting out. I worked three weeks and sold 75 cents worth. That would be <laughs> 37 cents gross profit. And I said, something must be wrong with this territory or with this book or me. <laughs> so I changed the book uh, and I changed the territory and I thank the Lord that that was my first uh, year of getting a scholarship. I never did shine in the literature work like my older brother who is a uh, ranking student in the United States and he used literature throughout his practice uh, when he uh, was in family practice and when he's in missionary work. And I'll just tell you a little incident I had when I was helping him in his office one time. It was a hot day, 100% humidity, 100 degrees temperature, working out in the sun in the cotton fields. And, you know, you're creating heat and absorbing heat and there's no way to get rid of the heat there. So some people got uh, heat stroke. And one of them was brought in unconscious into our office, his office, in uh, South Texas, and had a temperature of 108. And uh, we used to study hydrotherapy in those days. We had been taught that you should put the patient like that on a table tepid water, warm water, a sponge, uh, a fan played on them, the intravenous, and we, we did those things. And uh, thank the Lord, his temperature gradually came down, and uh, two, three days later, we were able to discharge him home. Now, he was an illegal Mexican immigrant, and my brother had bought hundreds of copies of a book called El Mundo del Futuro. It was uh, The World of the Future, a book on prophecies, uh, a full truth book. And so these, each of these men were given a book as they were ready to leave. And as they came to the door, the one man thought, 
this calls for a little speech. So he said, we cannot read, but when we go back to Mexico, we will give these books, we will ask our friends to read these books to us, and we'll tell them they were given us by the doctors that took us from death to life. And the Lord will help us to uh, do that. Well, I found it's easier to give away books than it was to sell them. <laughs> when I went off the Korean War, I sent an allotment to my parents, and instead of, they didn't have surplus money, but they bought copies of Steps to Christ and other things like that and sent to me. Uh, and I was stationed in northern Japan, and so under my desk, in this crowded office that had three desks, three physicians, three physicians' assistants, and three patients, each of the nine of us in there, in a small space, but under the table, I had this box of Steps to Christ. And as you'd see, some of these uh, people that had some very sad stories, I can't go into any detail on this, why you could reach into the box and give them a book in addition to whatever care you're giving them. I had been training some capable young uh, people, uh, young soldiers there, medics, to be physician's assistants because we were completely overwhelmed with the number of patients. And this one Jewish boy from Brooklyn, the bright fellow, well, he worked with me a while, and then we set him up to screen people down the hall. If uh, he thought we needed to see them, he'd bring them, and if they wished to see us, uh, they could come on in. And I remember he would run into the office there, and he'd say, I've got somebody that needs one of your books. <laughs> so even a Jewish physician's assistant recognized that they needed steps to Christ. About 30 years ago, in the AMA News, is a newspaper format, they had a center spread article uh, interviewing a doctor in suburban Boston, an internist that was able to conduct a successful cholesterol-lowering program for his patients in his office. So they asked him questions, and then uh, he answered these questions. This went on for the whole two pages of the newspaper. And then at the last, they said, Doctor, is there anything else that you want to uh, stress? And he said, yes. For every patient that wants to lower his cholesterol, these are the people that buy billions of dollars of the uh, Lipitor and things like that. He says, for every one of them, there are 50 that want peace of mind. And so, People want these pages of peace, shall we say, that, that there are many people that are troubled and they need the help that is available through uh, Christian literature and prayer and things like that. As we look into history, it's interesting that even before printing, there were people the Walden Seas up in their uh, mountain fast where they had school, uh, brick schools. We had a chance to visit there. Right. They were copying the Bible and hiding it in their clothes and when they went out as merchants or whatever they were doing, if they saw somebody that seemed receptive, they would take out some of this literature. It might, it might cost them their lives, but they did that. Off the coast of Scotland, is an island on the west that juts out a little into the Gulf Stream and actually has very good weather. It's a good place to raise crops and even have palm trees and things like that. There was a missionary named Columba that went there about the year 500. And he was a genius of royal blood and a diligent man that had the best college in the British Isles and maybe in Western Europe 
the kings would send their sons to go to school there. They had about 3,000 students. They raised their own crops and things. And Columba, as busy as he was there, personally wrote out 300 copies of the New Testament so that he could distribute literature. And we are very fortunate that it's not such a job for us to distribute his letter, literature. How much time do we have? Okay. As Elise has said, you can get other people involved on this. And I've bought a number of uh, bags, uh, carrying bags, at uh, uh, thrift shops and fixed up lit kits, which we would give out at church to people so they could pick out just what literature that they really wanted to have. And I encourage you to have a variety. If you have somebody that is a nurse or whose daughter is a nurse, it's natural to give ministry of healing. And you can say, there are two chapters toward the back that tell you how to get along with people who are hard to get along with. Give me that book! <laughs> Automatically, they say that. There's a chapter on helping daily living and um, in contact with others. I often mark those as I give out a book. In giving out steps to Christ, it's nice to uh, quote what Mrs. White says about prayer uh, there and comment on that. If you're giving out great controversy, it's a good to mention that in the last chapter is a wonderful description of the earth made new and, and these things. One patient of mine had three grocery stores. So he took three boxes of 100 Steps to Christ, one for each of his grocery stores. I was not sleeping one Friday night. I was praying, how could the most good be accomplished? And I got the vision by distribution of Steps to Christ. I went to church the next day, and a friend, Frank Hummel, walked up and put a $50 bill in my hand. And I said, well, you know, I can do that myself. And that was a start in buying tens of thousands of Steps to Christ uh, that went out. Others will join in this work. And the, we can be <coughs> light bearers reflecting God's great love for people. And should I stop or tell one more story? You got one more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was driving to a clinic one day and I car said, check engine. So I got off the road and went where I knew there was a fish hatchery with a parking lot. The engine was okay. And I sh greeted a fisherman there in the creek. And then I started out and then I said, you know, I didn't give him any books. So I went back and, uh, and I said, say, I've got a book here of stories told by the one who really put some fishermen on the map. And this is Christ object lesson, you know. And I said, I'll leave it here on the rock for you. So the Lord blesses you with wonderful opportunities. And this, the sower that went forth to sow had seed. And we, we should have seed with it Figure out the logistics of just how you're going to do it, and the Lord will give you many happy experiences. You know, next, uh, next to my dad, uh, Dr. Youngberg is way up here, and, uh, and his granddaughter, but, but thank you. You know, a lot of you might be wanting to do this, you don't know where to start? Well, I, there are, praise the Lord, we have people that can help us. Um, some of the resources. Uh, find your local Adventist Book Center. I mean, that's near to my heart because I grew up in that work. But uh, 
today we have you know, over in the exhibit hall, we have we have the Review and Herald. Howard, raise your hand. Howard Scoggins, um, and we have Scott Cady right here from the Pacific Press. Uh, but I know that uh, I know particularly the the Review and Herald. Uh, Her Herald or Howard, did you want to say anything about some of the program that? Okay. Uh, I know this, that if I was, uh, I think, I know you're really crunched for time here, and I know that if Scott was sitting right here beside me, he'd be saying the same thing. I'm going to call him up. Oh, are you? For about okay. Two All right. And that we need to hear from you. It's not nice to go to the dentist and your problem's here and he's drilling over here, right? That's kind of a bad thing, right? Yeah. All right, well, the same thing with us. We don't want to be up there thinking what you need when, in fact, you're needing something else. So please communicate with either publishing house and tell us what you want. Come by the, re the review booth. I have a lot of samples that I will show you. I'll give you some catalog ideas. With your help, we can do it right. Without your help, we're just guessing, right? And it's uh, Scott Cady from Pacific Press. Thank you, Howard. I just want to affirm what uh, Dr. Otis has already said, that the gospel travels best over relational bridges. People come to you, you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with your patient, they're going to uh, have an interest in what is in your office displayed. I just want to briefly say that Signs of the Times is a full message magazine. It has articles on parenting, on relationships, on health, and of course the message that we, that we hold dear. If you take a look at it, maybe it's been a while, I believe it's a, a magazine that you can proudly and without apology place in your office knowing that God can work through these words. So if you, if you have time, stop by, take a look at the magazine. Uh, I think you'll be really blessed. Can I say one word for you? Yes. I, you know, I know there's so many effective ways, and I, Philip, raise your hand. Philip was a classmate of mine. He actually has a booth over here as well. He is doing literature evangelism work through his, uh, through his office. And I would, I would invite you to stop by his booth as well and find out more. The Lord's really using him. Okay, I you know it's an exciting life. Yes, it's an exciting life to be a medical evangelist missionary. Uh, it's the true joy of Jesus. You know, the joy of Jesus was coming to see people be saved, and uh, that can be our joy too, and it will be. Um, but anyway, I'm just. You know, I just pray that this little time together will create a new vision for us and where we, where we work, the people we work with. And, uh, you know, I just pray God will use this time together. And I, I thank you all. And I would just like to close with prayer. So if you would bow your heads. Father in heaven, uh, oh, Lord, what a blessing. We have seen how you have worked in the past. And, Lord, we believe that you're going to be working with even greater power in the future. We just want to be uh, those people that are willing to be available, to be used by you. Uh, Lord, we have tarried for so long, and we don't want to do that any longer. So, Lord, enliven us with your Holy Spirit, and uh, just bless us now as we uh, continue on with these meetings. And, and, and Lord, especially be with the, the students that are here. Lord, just uh, create within them a, a thirst and a desire to 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 be your servants in, in all that they do. 
and be a witness and blessing to their classmates and, and in their future practices. So Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer. Be with us now in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.